Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Once again, thank you. We just bless your holy name for this moment. And we're asking God of glory for your light. Your spirit, O God of glory, to cause us to see out of the scriptures what your love really is. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we will continue from, anyway, our main test again. What part is this? Part number eight, right? Part eight, all right. So, let's continue from uh, where we stopped last week. Again, we look at our test, which is... uh, Revelation 14. Can I get Revelation chapter 14, verse number 1? And he said, And I looked, and behold, a lamb. A lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having their father's name written in their forehead. This is what we're dealing with, right? Okay. Um, last week I talked with us about the issue of uh, standing together with him. If you can remember how that you can understand together with him. So how do you stand with the Lamb? We said that last week and uh, this looked like a continuation for us to grasp the true meaning of what it means to stand. Amen? Uh, we made it clear that when you stand with somebody, you agree with the individual. You agree with the person's philosophy, you agree with the person's uh, ideology, you agree with the person's vision, his focus, his direction. Uh, you don't have to have your own agenda if you are standing with somebody. Like I said, if somebody asks you a question, are you with me? Uh, definitely they're going to say, oh, yes, I'm with you. Or if I say, are you with me? So, yeah, I understand you. All right, okay? Right. So that's what it means to be with the Lamb. So if we are going to be with the Lamb, from what you're saying here, it means we have the same thought, the same attitude, the same language, uh, the same perception about life. Uh, we have to start seeing the way God sees. We have to start seeing Everything from the mind and the perspective of God. That is how we stand with them. Everything that we, we should be beholding should be what is in the mind of God. By implication, we can't have our own agenda in whatever thing we're doing. As a matter of fact, remember the scripture says, 1 Corinthians, it said we are co-laborers with God. Where is workmanship? 1 Corinthians 3. Remember that. Co-laborers, what is that supposed to mean? If you are a co-laborer with somebody, it means you are doing exactly what that individual is supposed to do. You are doing something together jointly. It doesn't have to be what you think about what you need to do. If, for instance, I, when we're building this hall and then we bring the engineer to build, the engineer is supposed to build according to the drawings. You understand that? Okay. The same way you find that... Uh, God spoke to Moses and he said, build according to pattern which I've showed you. Now Moses doesn't have to go and build his own design. It has to be the design of God because we're working together with God. So if we are co-laborers together with Christ, it simply means we do exactly what God intends Christ to do and what Christ is supposed to be doing. And that's why they say that it's difficult for us to really think that we're doing what God intends us to do when what motivated Jesus to come is to establish the kingdom of God. If, if it is to establish the kingdom of God, like he said in John chapter, 
I mean Luke chapter 4, 43, 44, I must preach this gospel of the kingdom for this purpose was I sent. And we are ministers and we are believers in this world. We don't seem to have that simple clue as to this is the mind of Christ and so we pursue what he was pursuing. We don't have that. So I don't know how we are standing with him. So, like God told Moses, build according to pattern. If I call laborers, we are building this structure, like I was trying to say, and then you bring an engineer here to build the structure, and then it begins to do something else. If you look at the design, the architectural design, and you say, this is not what I wanted you to do. This is not the house I'm looking at. This is not the picture that I intend with which I pay the draftsmanship to draw the building for me or the plan. So, we see sometimes that because we are not in the same fine frame mind, um, I mean, frame of mind with Christ and to do what he's supposed to be doing, some of us are losing out. This is where there's a little bit of separation, from his, in my, let me use the word, from not receiving revelations from God, from not understanding what God intends to do. We are interested in doing what we are doing, but not exactly what God intends to do. I, I was sharing this with somebody, a pastor asked me a question based on some of the things I was sharing on Facebook and I made the person to understand the person can say all of those things he's saying and claiming to be Christocentric you know because I made a statement that you as an individual God have a covenant with you and he said according to the Christocentric teaching you can't have any covenant there's only one covenant that is the covenant of Christ I said that is wrong why is it wrong in the beginning, God made covenant with man, primarily. Then God made covenant with Abraham. Then God made covenant with Moses, which has to do with Israel. Then God made covenant with Christ, which has to do with the New Testament. So why do you think God cannot make a covenant with an individual? Your call or your purpose in life is your covenant with God. But being Christocentric, you can't see that. Because you feel everything ends with Christ. Now, what about you? As he is, who are we, the Bible says. Amen? So, we're talking about standing with him on Mount Zion is to build according to pattern. Is to understand what is his thought, what is his mind. Like I was trying to make this pass to know. Anybody that cannot have an understanding of Genesis 1, 26, 27 cannot fulfill the mind of God no matter what you preach. Because that is God's ultimate goal. You understand what I mean? That's God's ultimate goal. Anyway, so the truth is, even if you claim to be a believer and you are doing nothing to expand the cause of what you believe in, you may end up being against him. You cannot be said to be with him. I tried to explain this last week, and it's important. If you are a believer, your action, your attitude, your philosophy, your drive, it's not there to expound his kingdom. You can't say you are with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't be with him. Remember what we read in Mark chapter 9? The person that was not even among the 12. Remember that. Was casting a devil and all that. Jesus said no. Approved. Why? The person was expanding the ministry, the philosophy, the ideology of who? Of Jesus Christ. So if you are in the faith, if you are in Christ and you can't do anything to expound the kingdom of God, you are not with him. You are not in union with him. 
you are not in cooperation with him. You are not co-laborer together with him. Praise God. Just like I said, you can't employ a factory worker who will come into the factory and he done nothing, no production, but at the end of the month, you want to get a salary. I'm sure at a point you are going to say, no, you are fired. Am I correct? Yeah, you are fired. Turn it a bit again. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Okay. So, standing among Zion, like we said, is to prove his overcoming ability to take over control of the rulership of all realms of creation as the king that is enthroned. Praise the Lord. We said that before in 2 Chronicles 6 8, how that Solomon stood up and the people stood together with him. Why did he have to stand up as a king? We said he stood up to bless the people after the dedication and to commit the house to God. And there is something very specific that happened. When he stood, the people stood together with him. They all agree in unison and pray and talk to God. We know that in that dedication, the glory of God filled the temple. So there's unity. When you, when you help me now, when you do what he's asked to do or is supposed to be doing and you're together with him, there is something that happens. It delivers God's glory to you and I. Praise the Lord. Are we here? Amen. It delivers the glory of God to each and every one of us. Why? Because we are actually his temple. See, do you know why he says the Lord honor, honor his name more than honor his word more than his name? Because it is the word that builds all things. That is why you see, in Matthew we say, you say, Lord, Lord, I've done this in your name, I've done that in your name. But say, but no, I will say, go away from me, ye that walk iniquity. You know what iniquity means? Anomia. That is, you are not in agreement with him. You are not in the same thought with him. You are not in union with him. You are not joined together with him. You use his name, but you are not married to him. That's what anomia means, the lawlessness. By implication, you do things that I never asked you to do. That's what the word iniquity means. The Greek word is anomia. So I would say, no, go away from here that work iniquity. What's iniquity? Anomia. Anomia simply means you do things without being led of the spirit. You carry out activities, you carry out actions, you carry out, you know, crusade, whatever. Just because you feel you have to, his input is not there. How many of you remember Moses? Moses said, hey, listen, you asked me to go bring the people out, whatever the case may be. If you don't go with me, I will not go. And the Lord said, I will show my glory. How many of you remember that? That's what I mean. Praise the Lord. And so, we can move on. Last, last week also, I dealt with uh, the issue of uh, the world, the power of the world, the unity, how we are sitting together with him, heavenly places, and uh, working on Mount Zion. You remember that? Praise the Lord. I just said it's a kind of recap so that you can understand what I'm trying to say. So we're going to move on. Praise the Lord. All right. Let me read uh, this scripture with us here. Mm -hmm. 
Revelation 14 and verse 4. Revelation 14 verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever I goeth. These were redeemed from amongst men, being the first fruit unto God and to the Lamb. Hallelujah. I'm not be dealing fully with each of the first fruit, but just read James chapter 1, verse 18. Let's see. James 1, 18. Of his own free will, begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of what? First fruits of his creature. Now that Revelation 14, 4, you read it down, you find that the Bible says the virgins were the first fruit unto who? Unto God. So, what does it mean to be a first fruit? First fruit are those who are begotten by what? The word of God. By implication, help me Jesus. They can't be corrupted by any tradition. They can't be reduced from their faith, their conviction, by any philosophy. These are first fruit unto God. Praise the Lord. Are we here? So at this level of relationship with the Lamb, we can no longer be speaking about our own words or speaking about using our own words for anything. Neither do we have any choice of our own as to what we should speak or teach, in quotes, as far as our ministry is concerned, except for that which he communicates to us. And what we have come to discover that this is actually his mind. Praise the Lord. Let me show you John 3 verse number 8. John 3 verse number 8. I'm talking about those who are actually standing with the Lamb in Mount Zion. John 3 verse 8. John chapter 3 verse number 8. The wind blow it. Okay, go to verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. And I always tell people, this statement was not made to the man in the street. This, man, this statement was made to a rabbi. Somehow, yes, you may ask people if they are born again, but Jesus never asks anybody who is not in the fold whether he's born again or not. But that I mean, he never asks any pagan in quote, any heathen, any Gentile person, whether the person is born again? No. All the people that he has a question to, which is actually under in this chapter, was a rabbi who knows the law. You understand what I'm saying? Right. Religious people are the ones that really need to be born again. <laughs> and that may surprise you. Praise the Lord. I mean, I'm following the pattern of Jesus. He never said that to anybody outside. It just that may surprise you that Jesus never used the word hell for a Gentile. Read your Bible. Don't quote me. Just read your Bible. 
read through jesus never used the word hell for a gentile all the places where he spoke about hell they were jewish people check it out <laughs> you understand what i'm saying that because there's a reason for that which we can't be discussing now same with this you must be born again was to a jewish man a rabbi not a Phoenician woman not uh, i mean Jairus was Jairus born again Jairus said i need my child to be healed jesus never made any debate and asked the question are you born again what about the house of colonials did they answer many questions if you're born again no but we're gentiles but what happened the holy ghost came first people no question of whether we are born again <laughs> hallelujah just read the bible so here is this man asking jesus telling this man you must be born again let's get the definition of being born again where i'm really going to verse number eight look at it the wind blew it where it listed and that he heard the sound thereof but cannot tell when the comet and whither it goes so is everyone that is born of the spirit now take it from uh, nlt let's say simpler translation I want you to consider this what it means to be born again what it means to be born again hallelujah praise the lord okay i want you to catch this because it's very important or should we take it from the amplifier let me read this the wind blows whenever it wants just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going so you can't explain how people are born of the spirit you can't explain it hallelujah look at it from amplified translation verse number eight alone it says the wind blows breath where it wills and though you hear a sound Yet you neither know where it comes from, nor where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You can't tell. You can't truly tell. Why is this so? Because they've lost their mind by implication. Okay, a simple example again is, what happened to Philip? Is that okay? Here is Philip serving tables here is philip going to samaria here is philip in the midst of revival and here is philip say move to where to the desert to meet an individual philip cannot predict his movement and by the time he got to the eunuch finished with the eunuch the bible said the spirit took him to azotus you can't predict your movement that's what the Bible says. Many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You are being controlled by the Spirit so that you can fulfill his own desires. That is how you stand with him in Isaiah. This is why it's important. You know how to hear from God. Praise God. Are you still there? So, for those who are truly born of the Spirit, they are strangers amongst men, both in language, conduct, and dealings. For the influence of the communication of the serpent 
in their soul have been washed away by the word of the spirit of life. Hence their virgins. Amen? Come on, are you following what I'm saying here? The controlling factor, I mean, if you remember, Ephesians 2, we're sitting together with him. I mean, when he talks about verse 1 and 2, we are one dead in sin and transpass it, but have been quickened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Except for those who are being controlled by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that working with children of disobedience. You remember that? Good. Now that spirit of disobedience that was supposed to be your spirit has been washed away by the influence of the Holy Spirit. So now you can hear God and God takes you to do whatever thing he wants you to do. A truly born again child of God have no, no desire. Look at what the scripture says. There are many, many plans, if you will, in the hearts of a man. Say, but the counsel of the Lord thou shalt stand. Did you get that? I want to make you understand that if you truly be born again following the Lord, you don't have your own will. Your will is gone. What did Jesus say in Hebrews chapter 10? Lo, in the volume of the book, it is written on me to do thy will. And when he was praying in Gethsemane, what did he say? If it please you, take this call from me. But if thy will not, you don't have your will if you're truly born again. <laughs> Hallelujah. You lost your mind. You lost your will. For he is. Amen. He controls you. You know, we only have this argument about, oh man, uh, the will, free will. Is anybody that's really a free will? There's no free will. No free will. The Bible tells us that to whom you obey, to his servant you are. And there are only two spirits in the world to which you can submit yourself to. Either you are in Christ or you are in Adam. So you can call that devil, whatever the case may be. But you don't have a free will. That's a simple truth. Because you have to have a master. No slave has a will of his or her own. Every slave. Oh, come on. Is anybody getting this? And Paul said, I'm a born servant. I'm a born slave. Isn't it? Praise God. <laughs> so Jesus was like a born slave before the fire. He said, if it is your will, okay, fine, I'll do it. You don't have your own will. You must synchronize your will into the will of the Father to determine what to do, what not to do, where to be, where not to be. Amen. You know the story how I was supposed to have landed in Africa, South Africa and all of those things? That was my will. But what happened? Woke me up and told me, I never sent you here. Go back home to Nigeria. I mean, that was supposed to be a good opportunity. Maybe if I was there, all this trouble now going on, I would just be hearing them on the news. <laughs> Praise God. Will I be there? You know, you're hearing all this news, reading about my country, but God said, go back home. And that's why I always believe that Nigeria will survive. Because he can't tell me to leave maybe a secure atmosphere and come back home to die. No, so Nigeria is going to survive. Praise God. So when you are born of the spirit, you don't have your will. That's why they are called virgins. They are pure. Pure in terms of the word of God, the mind of God, the spirit of God, the thoughts of God. Your actions are directly connected to, oh glory, everything the Lord is putting where? In their spirit. Hallelujah. Are we here? Okay, so, let's deal very briefly with uh, the issue of the thousand language of God. 
You know, the Bible says, 144,000. What is that supposed to mean? Those sitting on the, on the mountain are 144,000. I like we keep on asking, is this literal or figurative? We need to know. Again, understand this. In apocalyptic writings or literature, Book of Revelation begins with well, and being one of them, the thousand represent ideas and not arithmetical values. For those of you who have uh, followed on, and we're dealing with the issue of uh, the power of numbers. How many of you can still remember those studies? We did from number one up to, I think, 50 or thereabouts, and then 100, and then 1,000. No. You need to understand, God's language is not like if you say one, then one, say two, then two, three, three. No. It has meanings attached to all of those numbers. They are not arithmetical computation. Praise God. Are you there? Okay, let me look at scripture here, perhaps. Genesis 26, Genesis 24, verse 16. Genesis 24, verse 16. I mean, 144,000 is not in arithmetical computation. Like maybe you add 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. You understand that? Yeah. Genesis 24, verse, uh, this is Rebecca. Okay. When uh, Abraham said he should go and get a wife for Isaac from among his people, remember that. And Eliezer went there. And he got uh, Rebecca. And here was a picture. The Bible said, and they blessed Rebecca, the family now, and said unto her, Thou art our sister. Be thou the mother of thousands of millions. Let thy seeds possess the gate of those who hate them. Thousands of millions. How many persons are that? And how many children did Isaac have? It simply means the prayer was not answered. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> are you with me? Praise the Lord. So, you see, this is directly connected to the kingdom of God. Amen? This is directly connected to the kingdom of God, the prosperity of the kingdom of God, which has no end or in terms of arithmetical calculation to be able to get Rebecca to have tens of thousands of millions of people. So the idea behind it is that which is incalculable, what you cannot calculate. When you talk about a thousand, you are talking about something you cannot calculate in the language of God. Amen? Why? Because like in Isaiah 9 verse 7, say, the increase of the government, there shall be no end. It is something you can't calculate. That's why scripture says, be you a mother of how many? Thousands of millions. What number is thousands of millions? I don't know. You can calculate them. And just like God was speaking to Abraham and said, your, your children, your seed shall be like this. The sand of the seashore. You can calculate. Your children shall be like the stars on the sky. You can calculate. So, your children is going to be thousands of millions. You can calculate. 
So the idea behind thousand is that which cannot be calculated. So you don't use that. Okay, let's take another scripture. Isaiah 18, I mean 4 Samuel 18, verse number 7. Isaiah 18, verse number 7. Sorry, 4 Samuel 18. I was confused, right? 4 Samuel 18, verse number 7. And the woman answered. Now, this is when David killed Goliath. Okay? And the women answered one another. They were singing. And they played and said, Saul has slain his thousand, but David is ten thousand. How many people did David kill? He killed one man. But the people said he killed 10,000. In fact, Saul killed his thousands. We don't even know how many. <laughs> and then when it comes to David, he killed 10,000. So how many persons did David kill? He killed one man. So what's the purpose? What's the meaning of that? The one man that David killed was the Bible of the Philistines. So by implication, David destroyed the whole of the Philistine community. You get the point now. I'm trying to make you see how the word thousand is used in the Bible. So, David did not kill literally 10,000 people. He killed just one. But it was a backbone. Go with me to Psalm 50 verse number 10. Okay, take it from verse 9. Verse 9. I will take no bullock out of the house, no goat out of the fold, by implication, if I need a sacrifice, I will not. Go ahead. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. So, are you saying any cattle, that is, you begin to count from number one, Unto 999, then when you're entering a thousand, that last hill belongs to God. Is that what you mean? No. He's not talking about I own everything. So it's not it's not calculating number of hills, and then the last one is where his own cattle will be. 999 will be yours, 1000 is mine. Hallelujah. Did you get it? All the forest animals are already mine, and the cattle on my mountains in their thousands. That is the way it is in the Jerusalem Bible. The cattle in their thousands, they are all mine. So the idea behind it is that God owns everything, and there is nothing you are presenting to God that is not His own. You remember what He said now in verse number uh, number nine: If I need a bullock, I won't consult you. If I need a goat, I won't consult you. For a cattle on a thousand hill is mine. By implication, anyone you are offering to me is even my own. I only gave it to you to keep. You don't own anything. I own everything. Are you getting that? So, is that trying to say you are only a custodian of God's possession? Therefore, you do not need to pride yourself as if 
you are giving him anything. And this is what people don't understand. This is what people don't understand. Anything you're giving to God, there is no question of thinking that, well, I'm doing so much, I'm doing so well. No. You are like a custodian. He gave it to you to keep. And when he needs it, he demands it from you. You should be doing it cheerfully, willfully. That this is God blessing me. How many of you remember Isaiah 45? We read when God was speaking to uh, King Cyrus and he told you, and he told him, you don't even know me. I called you, I know you, and I'm going to bless you for the sake of my people Israel. So the prosperity that was coming to King Cyrus was not for his own use. It was for the sake of the people of, of Israel. So for it's not like the scripture the Lord is giving to us in uh, Isaiah 60 when he talks about the forces of the Gentiles shall be brought unto us. For what purpose? God is not intending that he blesses you so that you throw the money and then feel big. That's not the point. Whatever blessings he gives to you, see yourself as a custodian. And the more you are there to believe that, yes, we are here just to keep what he gives to you and to let him have it whenever he needs it, more comes to you. For he that is faithful in little shall be faithful in much. Hold up. Hallelujah. Are you following that? He must first trust you that you are not only wasting the resources, you are actually being able to preserve the resources and to make use of it when he wants you to make use of it. And for his own glory, for his own purpose. That's why he blesses us. Hallelujah. Praise God. Anything he gives to you, it's not meant for you to either pride yourself about or whatever the case may be. Somebody spoke to me, elderly man, I know him, in Utah, in the United States. He read one of the, I think, parts five of what I'm dealing with, the issue of the end of the world. When is the end of the world on Facebook? And he said, I love you. You really don't think about what people say. You say the truth the way it is. Not minding what people think about you or what they are going to think about you. My simple response was, I have only one life to live. Maybe this is the only reason God brought me here. And if he gives me this wisdom, I can't keep it to myself because somebody will be offended. Or bring into such a dimension that will make people accept me, then I become a man pleaser. If I'm a man pleaser, what will I tell God when I get back into the spirit? Paul will say, I have finished my course. That means everybody has a course. A course is a portion of assignment given to you on the face of the earth. And Paul said, I have finished it. So, if this is what God has given to me, and then I want to think, okay, people are not accepting me, people are not going to believe me, and let me do it like this so that people can accept me, maybe I turn the message to motivational speaking so that I can have the largest crowd. When I get back to the Spirit, what am I going to tell God? I tried to fulfill, people didn't accept me, therefore. And God said, but I sent you. You should my pleasing me and not trying to please me or compromise what I give to you. I don't know if you are following what I'm saying. Anything God gives to you is for you to not just possess it like, okay, you store it up. No. 
is for the benefit of the body of Christ. And my greatest joy is people are beginning to see truth in what I'm saying. The pastor called me today and he said, hey, listen, I just go through what you wrote. And it changed my paradigm. I was brought up in this denomination, one of the big ministry in church, in town. Brought up with the denomination and uh, all my hope was the rapture. But by the time I read what you wrote there, I jettisoned that. I know it's false. And the next thing asked me, what, do, what will you tell me to do with my tithe and offerings? <laughs> he said, because sowing into that system is like encouraging deception. So what do you want me to do now? I said, you've got to talk to God. Not me. It's God that's giving you your money. God will determine how and where to put the money. Not me. I don't know where you're that. And he said, I'm going to go back on your timeline and read up everything. So because I know now that it's all deception. He said, but just to finish, ask a question in Acts chapter 1, reading from verse number 9. You know the story. Uh, Jesus was lifted up and uh, he told two men came and said, I've taught you here before. Uh, maybe I'll find time to break it down for you. Two men came in like manner. You know, as you see him go, so shall he come in like manner. Two men came and told them that. What did he tell them? Ye men of Galilee. Who are Galileans? He didn't say you Christians. He said, Ye men of Galilee. Why is Tadia gazing up in the sky? This same Jesus, whom is he taking off when you shall so come in like manner? So, what's the like manner? The first thing is, he spoke to a people. The people must see him come. You were not there. The four disciples of Jesus were called, not Galilean, but where he was the first time. The Nazarene. Jesus of Nazareth. Is that okay? Right. So the, those who were following him were first called Nazarene. Or the Nazareth people. And then when he moved his ministry headquarters to Galilee. The followers of Jesus were not called Galileans. Then when you come to Acts chapter 11. They were not called Christians. So you see the migration. So who was the address given to? The address was not to Christians. The address was to Galileans. Who were Galileans? He disciples at that time. As you see him, you shall see him come. So how long? He came on the day of Pentecost. He rose from the grave and about 5,000 brethren saw him. He came. But the church can't see that. They're still looking up. And guess what? The Bible says when he was moved, a cloud, singular, took him out of their sight. A cloud. He didn't say clouds. One cloud took him out of their sight. What was that cloud? It was the glory of God. That same glory, the power that rested upon Mary. He said that the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee, and that holy thing that shall be in thee shall be called the Son of God. When Solomon was dedicating the temple, the glory cloud came. What happened? The place was filled. They disarmed The priest could not minister. You remember that? What happened when the law was to be given? The cloud came on the mountain. What happened? You, all through the scriptures, the cloud is God's presence. So when he left in the cloud, he didn't live in clouds. And somebody will quote for you, Revelation 1, I think 7, 
Behold, he cometh with clouds, and no eye shall see him. Did all eyes saw him when he was going? But he says, don't come in like manner. Say, if only few eyes saw him, how is he not come with all eyes to see him? And people will tell you, well, you're going to see him maybe through television, through CNN. Ah, <laughs> praise God. What am I trying to make you see here? Thousands on Canto Hill belongs to God. Amen. Look at verse 12. Of, uh, Psalm 50. What am I? Look at verse 12. Let me see if that's what I'm looking for. It talks about the fullness of the earth belongs to God. How many of you remember that? Yeah, the earth and the fullness thereof belongs to me. Okay. All right. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. For the wall is mine, and the fullness thereof is mine. If I'm hungry, I will not tell you. Is that okay? I don't need to consult you if I'm hungry. Everything in the world belongs to me. So the money you have belongs to God. Your children belongs to God. Everything you have belongs to God. You need to first understand that. Amen? Praise God. All right. Look at Psalm 68. I like this scripture. 17 to 18. Psalm 68, 17 to 18. We'll probably be stopping here. I'm, I'm just trying to make you understand what the thousand language of God really is. So that you don't begin to say, what are 44,000? Then start calculating what are 44,000. How long now did he make that statement? And up to now, he hasn't been able to get the one of 44,000 that will be with him out there in the sky. What a deception. <laughs> Look at this. The chariots of God are 20,000 even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. As in Sinai. That means those who came to Sinai were thousands and thousands. And who were they? The children of Israel. We are God's chariots. He rides through us. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. The Lord is among them as in Sinai. So it's comparing the New Testament and the Old Testament. That's all. And so who were those that came to him in Mount Sinai? They were the children of Israel. Give me Deuteronomy 32 or so. Let me see. Verse 1 and 2. Let me see. Hallelujah. Or, or perhaps look at verse 33. Ooh, 33 rather. Go to 33. Look at verse 1 and 2. And this is a blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. Verse 2. And he said, The Lord came from Sion, Sion and rose up from Sion unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints from his right hand, went forthward, a fiery love for them. Did you get that? So when he says, Psalm 68, the chariots of God are ten thousands and even of thousands. He's speaking of people. He calls them angels. Not angels that flies with what we've been taught in the church that talk about spirit. You see, the theology of the church have taken away the divinity of God that was supposed to be in your life. And ascribed them to other creatures. Whereas man is the ultimate creature. 
as far as everything is concerned. Everything in creation was created to worship man. Hallelujah. Did you see this? He's talking about when God gave the law in Mount Sinai. That's what he said in Psalm 68. Who are the people that came? He called them angels. He called them ten thousands and thousands of angels. By implication, multitude of people. Okay, look at that in Jude. Jude 14. Let's look at Jude 14. Jude chapter 1, verse 14. Whew. And it come to pass. I mean Jude, not Judges. Jude. Jude is before Revelation. Hallelujah. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with what? Ten thousands of his saints. Did it make sense now? Deuteronomy 32, the thousands of thousands came who were children of Israel. In the New Testament, it describing the saints, and it calls them what? Ten thousands. So how many are we as believers? All over the world. Praise the Lord. Are you still with me? So when we are talking about thousands, we are not dealing with arithmetical calculation. We are talking about the innumerable company of people that God is with. So if God is with you, you come in with him. How do we come with him? Men are looking up there to come. No, 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 no. He said he's coming with the saints. He didn't say he's coming with some angels or some spirit being or whatever the case may be. He's coming with the saints. He comes with us. He comes through us. We are the carrier of his presence wherever we go. We're supposed to manifest his presence wherever we go. We are his glory right now on the face of the earth. Are you following me? He said, those of Mount Zion, the 144,000 Mount Zion, they are the people that are carrying his glory, manifesting his presence wherever you go. Hallelujah. When he detonated it too, the law was given to them. They now live by the law. Other nations never had a law. They only had a law. And the law was their wisdom. I come to Deuteronomy chapter 4. But today, what law do you work with? We work with the law of the Spirit of Christ. Hallelujah. Are you with me? Praise God. We work with the law. Not the law of the Spirit of death. Okay. Maybe you need to read that. Romans chapter 8. Look at something very quickly. Oh, verse 1. Hallelujah. There is now, therefore, now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of Christ, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So which law went out of their hand? The law of sin and death. You sin, you die. That is Moses' law. But now we walk by another law, which is the law of the life of the spirit 
of Christ. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Are you getting that? So for Mount Sinai, they came out with the law of sin and death. But in Mount Sinai, I mean Mount Zion, will walk by the life of the Spirit of who? Of Christ. Praise the Lord. Are we still here? Okay. Let me show you, um, and then we can close for today. That same psalm will read Psalm 68. Um, look with me at verse number 12 of Psalm 68, or I'll take you to Ephesians 4 so that you get up. 68 verse number 12, let me see. Hallelujah. No, no, no. Let's quickly go to, let's quickly go to Ephesians 4. Praise God. Sorry, 68, verse 18. 68, verse 18. Let's look at that instead of verse 12. Psalm 68, verse 18. Hallelujah. Let's quickly look at that. Look at it. Thou has ascended on high. Thou has led captivities captive. Thou has received gift for men, yea, for the rebellions also. That Lord God might dwell among them. Now, can you see that this is what he quoted in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4? Go to Ephesians 4. Go to Ephesians 4. Paul quoted this. Look at verse 8. Wherefore, he said, he's quoting Psalm 68 now, when he ascended on high, he led captivities captive and gave gift unto men. And he called the evil the rebellious people. Look at the next thing. Verse 9. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended? First into the red part of the earth. And verse number 10 says, He that descended is the same also that what ascended. Up far above all heavens, that he may fill all things. And verse 11. And he gave gifts, or he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Remember, in Psalm 68, verse 18, he said he did it so that he can dwell among men. So the purpose of the fivefold ministry is to bring God into the midst of the people. By reason of the fivefold ministry that God has given to the church, his presence is supposed to be in the church. Are you getting with me? And he called them ten thousands. Those people that he ministering to, those people that he has sent the twelve, I mean the, the five of ministry to, they are the saints, the entire community of people all over the world, and that communicate or bring God into the midst of the people. So, that is why I always say this, if you are among the five of ministry, and your ministry does not bring God closer to the people, you are not doing the job. The purpose of the fivefold ministry is to bring God nearer the people, bring God closer to the people, that God may be amongst them. You get gift unto men. Praise the Lord. So we can see that the 20,000, even thousand of angels speaks of the saints of the New Testament. That Isaiah and Psalm 68. The 20,000 and thousand speaks of who? The saints of the New Testament. Not literal number. That is, you can't constitute a neutral number that will give you that kind of number. No, you can't. Hallelujah. Come on, are you with me? So, I'm going to leave this with you. That 
you are among the 10,000 and thousands of saints that God is coming with, according to Jude 14, that Enoch prophesied. Just like you are the 10,000 and thousands of saints that came from the wilderness, um, came from Egypt to the wilderness to Mount Sinai, and then he gave them the law, according to Deuteronomy 32, verse number, 33, verse number 2. Even so, in Jude 14, the prophecy is that God is going to come through a people. So what am I leaving with you? If there is anything you want to remember, is that through you, God will reach out to the rest of the world. Praise the living God. He comes through you. And guess what? In your relationship with the fivefold ministry, you are embracing God to yourself. He said he gave them those gifts so that God may dwell among them. So the ministry of the fivefold are supposed to bring God closer to the people, experience his presence regularly because of the ministry that God has given, which is the fivefold ministry. Praise the living God, somebody. So friends, take this. If you like, take it to the bank and store it up there. You are among the people that God is coming with. Every day, you are among the ten thousands of angels that God is working with right now. God did that when he rose from the grave. He descended, he ascended. He gave gift unto men so that he can be among them. Remember what happened in the book of uh, Song of Solomon. When the people cried out, when Israel started coming, so who is that coming out of the wilderness? Fear gripped the people. How many of you remember even Jericho? That's what a church is supposed to be on the face of the earth. When the law giver, the people that carried the law were coming, men's hearts were melting. Jericho had to fence themselves up. Because Israel was coming. And Song of Solomon said, Who is that coming out of the wilderness? The bride of God, the wife of God was coming with glory and power. What do we have today? The church has lost everything because we don't even know who we are in the first place. Praise the living God, somebody. But can I tell you something? God wants you to manifest his presence wherever you find yourself. Be a light. Be a glory, be a voice, be an eye, be a source of joy to people. This is what you are living for. He's coming with 10,000 of his glory, I mean of, of saints, manifesting his glory, his love. Wherever you find yourself, you are the full expression of the invisible God. And Jesus will say, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And Paul will say, be ye imitators of me even as I am imitator of Christ. By implication, you want to see Christ? See me. If you can see me, you will see Christ. If you can see Christ, you will see God. How do you look for God? You don't look for God in the streets. You look for God in people. Because that is where he dwells. God bless you. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.